This is the stateless man for the pursuit of individual liberty beyond arbitrary borders, oppressive governments, and myths of national obligations. If you value liberty and are willing to migrate and vote with your feet, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to another episode of The Stateless Man. We're pursuing liberty beyond borders. This is your host, Fergus Hodgson, and I'm broadcasting live from Raleigh, North Carolina. This show is sponsored by AMTG Solutions. That's amtgs.com for all your digital media and web development needs. That's amtgs.com. And I'm always, as this is a live show, I'm glad to have uh, callers in. It's 1-888-741-7472. That's one 1- 888-741-7472. And you can see that on the overseas uh, radio.com site. Presumably you're listening there. So, yeah, I have. Just so much has been going on over the last few weeks. I've been traveling all over the place. I start to lose track. I was down in Miami, uh, then up in uh, Washington, D.C., and then back again this past weekend. And, 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 and then in Raleigh, there was another event on. So we had an event for Cuban Exiles, the International Students for Liberty Conference, and then the Young Americans for Liberty Conference in Raleigh, North Carolina. And that has brought out a whole, well, a, a great deal of new content or material to discuss. And the website, thestatelessman.com, has, I think, three new articles this week, which you want to check out. Uh, the latest is from Isabel Gonzalez. She has written, the title is Libertarianism, Women and... How does it, what is it? And respecting unique individuals. She, the author, she, she is a contributor to the Stateless Man and will be on in the final half hour of the show. I also have, you know, there's been some bizarre news of late. Well, in Bulgaria, the parliament has resigned. <laughs> They've got about four months to go until the next election. So, supposed chaos will ensue, but I, I, I imagine people will just get on with their daily lives and be, and be quite all right. I've got a, uh, a specialist uh, living in Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria, speaking with us uh, in the second hour of the show. Uh, she studied in the United States and was a res- uh, student fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research, and uh, that's Antonetta Mal- Malhashan. And um, yes, I'll, I'll be speaking with her about what is going on in Bulgaria in the second second hour of the show. But in the in the first hour. I'm, I'm speaking with a good friend of mine. Uh, she is a freelance journalist, editor of foodrightradio.com, and an advocate of uh, natural health and uh, you might also say natural parenting, including home birthing. And along with her partner, uh, Brad Jordan, Brad the Butcher Jordan of Food Right Radio, she uh, takes care of that website. Now, I want to have her on because a lot is going on in this domain. The website foodrightradio.com, if you haven't checked it out, uh, is publishing uh, lots of great new content on the state of food freedom in North America, and particularly with with concern for direct to the consumer food that is from the fr- from the farm to the consumer. And uh, there are, there's new legislation coming about. I'll, I'll post that website up on the Stateless Man Facebook page. If you haven't liked the Facebook page, get on that because that's the easiest place for me to upload new content that isn't so uh, you could say. Less less deep content that might go on the actual website, thestatelessman.com. And so if you want to go to that, it's just The Stateless Man on Facebook or 
facebook.com forward slash the stateless man. So yeah, the first guest is Sarah Burrows of foodrightradio.com. And, uh, we may also have Brad John and I'm able to speak with us. So that is great. So, but first let me uh, bring on Sarah Burrows. Thanks for coming on the stateless man. Thanks for having me, Fergus. Right, that line sounded like we got a little bit of disconnect there in terms of the, the your wireless connection. But let's let's discuss the latest on the, on your website. Uh, the latest article was titled "Dead Lifeless Food," and this discusses the new uh, legislation in the United States, uh, which is um, what is it what is it called here? The Food Safety Modernization Act. Correct. After two years of delay, the Food Safety Modernization Act is finally going into effect. The FDA is moving forward with rules that are supposed to make food in the United States the safest in the world. Now, he said supposed to make, because because presumably you think that's a, a myth? Um, we have spoken to small farmers and local food movement advocates, and Brad most recently interviewed um, Judith McGeary of the Farm and Freedom, our Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance, and these people are in fear that the bill will actually be so. Or I'm sorry, the the regulations as a result of this bill will be so burdensome on small, local, organic, sustainable, whatever you want to call it, producers of food that a lot of them will either go out of business or have to increase their prices on their food, which will make it harder to access um, organic and nutrient-dense foods. And so if you think about it that way, overall, that would make a less safe food supply because we'd be more reliant on these large mega farms who do conventional farming methods with synthetic fertilizers and chemicals and the, the, the farms that are actually responsible for the deadly pathogens in their food, those might be the only farms left in existence. Ryan, well, so we're speaking with Sarah Burrows of foodrightradio.com, and the producer has informed me that we also have Brad the Butcher Jordan of the website available. So we're just discussing the, the article, which the, the top article on foodrightradio.com, the latest one, which is titled Dead Lifeless Food, and about the impact of the, quote, Food Safety Modernization Act uh, which goes into effect, I assume, sometime this year or is basically going into effect at this very moment. Quote, the FDA is moving forward with rules that are supposed to make food in the United States the safest in the world. And well, if yeah? by safe you mean the deadest food and most sterile food <laughs> in the world, then yes, that is, their, that is their aim. If everyone wants to eat a lean cuisine, if they want to eat Nutri-Grain bars, then fine, yes, it'll be safe. But, you know, what we want is living food. We don't want irradiated lettuce and, you know, we want our raw milk. We want things that build the immune system. The FDA are nothing but hired thugs from corporate groups such as Michael Taylor, who used to work for Monsanto, and, you know, it's just a revolving door from corporations to the FDA and then back to the corporation and then back to the FDA. And we want to expose these people for who they are. Just a, right. a bunch of anti-freedom thugs. Yeah, well, Brad, just yeah, hold there, Brad. Uh, we are speaking with Brad Butcher Jordan and Sarah Burrows of Food Right Radio, and 
I want people to call in. The number is one eight 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 seven four one seven four seven two. These people are natural health experts and uh, reporters. I'm really glad to have them on. So stay with us, folks. This is the Stateless Man on the Overseas Radio Network. Sit back and relax. You are tuned into the Overseas Radio Network. Your website is a major doorway to reach new clients. A dynamic web presence will generate you more leads and business. AMTG Solutions offers premium web design and digital media services for today's small businesses and entrepreneurs. Services are professional, affordable, and efficient. Visit their website at amtgs.com or email Tony at info at amtgs.com and let's get the ball rolling. This is the Stateless Man, uh, pursuing liberty beyond borders, and I'm pleased to have Sarah Burrows and Brad the Butcher Jordan of Food Riot Radio. And during the break, we're actually we were discussing the latest article on thestatelessman.com, libertarianism, women, and respecting unique individuals. If you've not checked that out, I encourage you to do so. One of the contributors to the site has discussed her story about how she became more aware of, you could say, free market economics and an appreciation for individual liberty and what that means for uh, building allies, people who will work with you, uh, towards achieving your liberty in your life. Now, but right right now we're discussing the state of food freedom in North America, in particular the United States, and my good friends uh, Brad the Butcher Jordan and Sarah Burrows host this website, foodrightradio.com, and their latest article is Dead Lifeless Food, which is up on the Facebook page of The Stateless Man. And the, I see this article has got almost a 1,000 likes, which is a, a tribute to the quality of content that you've put up there. And one of the questions which we first asked is how this, quote, Food Safety and Modernization Act is actually going to make anything safer. And I'll go back to Brad here. He said, so what exactly is the government going to do to make our food safer? And that just basically kill the food. You say just irradiate it? What exactly is irradiation? Well, when they irradiate food, they run up through like a, a, I think it's called an E-beam type of wave, and it supposedly kills any pathogens that may be in food, such as E. coli no. and salmonella. But right. it also it also can kind of, uh, it takes away some of the nutrient density in the food as well. So, you know, yeah, if someone, like, pees on your lettuce, then, yeah, it could <laughs> contain pathogens. But if it's grown in a sustainable, you know, well-kept area, it's not going to need to be irradiated, you know. Just run it under the faucet and rinse it off and eat it. Well, that that's take it right yeah, out of the ground and eat it. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of like a a lazy approach to to food safety. It's like it's it's an acknowledgement that there may be uh, excrement or whatever on your food, but rather than actually clean it or be more careful about not getting it there in the first place, we'll just irradiate it. And that's not really helping us because, as you know, that in the process that kills a lot of the goodness that you want as well. Right. Sarah, are you there? Yes, yeah, sir. I just you... wanted to say that people in rural communities in China actually use human feces to fertilize their food, and they get their major, that's their major source of vitamin B12 because they don't eat a lot of animal products, and B12 is made from bacteria, and I'm not advocating that we use human feces as a fertilizer in America, but... Um, but, Brad can tell you that Judith McGeary from the Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance 
told her told him a lot about um, fertilizer and how actually you know cow poop is one of the best fertilizers you can use. And Brad, explain how explain how they want to basically kill that as an option. Which are you would serious? Kill organic farming altogether. That's crazy because then you basically be dependent upon chemical fertilizers. Right. right because I, mean, they, I can't remember, Brad, what was it? They wanted people to um, wait nine months after they prepared the cow manure as fertilizer, which they basically just want to wait until it's dead and kill it until it's dead. And, and that's the whole idea with organic farming is is it's a living, system. Um, breathing, yeah, diverse ecological system. Well, right. and, yeah, and, and these, these composts, this fertilizer... Uh, manure is what gives the soil all its biodiversity and which eventually goes up to the plant as nutrients, right? So if you yeah. cut off the nutrients going to the plant, you're cutting off, you know, the taste and, and all the good stuff that's going into the food. So, yeah, it concerns I mean, me too. Be- yeah, because it, the, the, the soils that you'll talk about this on your show as well become so nutrient devoid after a few gen- generations of harvesting. Right. And, yeah. So I mean, they don't care. They just use synthetic fertilizers. It's not like it's natural soil that conventional farming uses. They use, they, they can have dead soil because they put synthetic chemical fertilizers, which just contain a few synthetic minerals, not the wide variety of 84 minerals that is in natural gardening soil and that your body needs. So let, let's just clarify. Right now, you're addressing this food modernization, the Food Safety Modernization Act in the United States, right. which is which the FDA is implementing. Well, hold on, though. It's not just the United States. The, yeah. the FDA wants to go worldwide. So what? if you want to import food into the U.S., those other countries are going to be held to a higher standard as well. Wow. So it, it doesn't just impact the U.S. Yeah, and I imagine that for many, many places, the U.S. is their lead uh, export market. I mean, even Chile. Right. If you think Mexico, Chile, I mean, think of all the different places that supply the U.S. with food. They're going to be held to higher standards as well. What are people doing about this, Brad? I mean, you, so that, that, that becomes even more, like, doomsday-ish when you, well, when you consider this. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I talked to this, this Mark Baker from Baker's Green Acres in Michigan. They shut him down, right? They, he was growing a feral swine type of hybrid pig. And this isn't the FDA, but, but let me just get to the main point here. Sure. The local heritage, heritage pig. You made it sound like yeah. a, a super future pig. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was a heritage. It was a fine pig, you know, restaurants right. praised it for its quality. Long story short, though, the state shut him down because they said it was a feral pig and, and there was wild boar running around the state of Michigan which mm. isn't the case. So he came out with a campaign called Anyone Can Farm, right? So he said, you know what? Everyone needs to be a farmer because they can't stop us all. He said, you know what, Brad? If there was, you know, if 350 million people in America, if they all had farms, how are they going to police all that? He's like, good luck trying to confiscate every gun in America. There's 350 million guns. Right. Right? So, I mean, the message is, you know, Grow your own farm. You know, yes, you can take time to lobby senators in Congress, and I don't want to do that. You know, you just let the people know and, and let people start knowing the benefits of nutrient-dense food. And, you know, you just you got to ask yourself, are you sick and tired of being sick? <laughs> you know, do you want to eat free? Do you want to eat good food? 
Yeah, you want to live a good po- life. <laughs> Brad, that point you made about going and lobbying people is, I think, is just so important because I don't want to waste my time lobbying people either. It just seems like the marginal gain from that is so limited as to make it not worth your time. And it's also unproductive activity. You're not actually producing anything. If you are growing your own items or moving to a place where you can, you are actually producing something that you can take pride in. Break law. I mean, a lot of people are breaking the law in the country right now by growing growing gardens in their front yard. You know, I've seen a host of of news articles from all over the country about people growing front yard gardens, and I think that should continue. You know? It's an incredible insight, too. Yeah, because what happens, once, once, once that happens, once enough people do that, you suddenly see that these draconian officials, they just can't carry their, their laws out because they don't have the capacity to round up everybody. No, they don't. And the thing is, though, there is an attack on food freedom all across the world. It's not just the U.S. There's raw milk farmers in Canada that are being threatened, you know, I... I I, I read somewhere a while ago some guy snuck some sheep out of his farm, and now he's facing prosecutions for that. That what? was up in Canada. They, they want to take the raw milk machines. Um, they have raw milk vending machines out of certain stores in, over in Europe. Europe. I think it's yeah, England. Canada is even more crazy about this, actually. In, in, when I lived in, in, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, they still had a collective buying monopoly and price controls on milk. I'm going, What? Didn't we get rid of this back in the 60s or something? We, we have price controls on milk in America, too. I, well, I know. In, yeah. in Louisiana, they do, actually. I'm not sure about here in North Carolina. Even in North Carolina, we can't access raw milk for human consumption. It's ridiculous. You know, people do it. They just break the law. I mean, that's yeah, what people need to do. They just, if these laws are so ridiculous, you just got to break them. Yeah, because under the light of the day, under under the light of day, most people will just say this is a dumb idea, and we're not. Basically, they only can enforce these laws while remaining in the dark. And right. yeah, like I said, in the light of day, people will just say this is foolish. How can you enforce this? Right. I mean, and even a jury thought this was foolish. A raw milk farmer in uh, I think it was Wisconsin or Minnesota was acquitted of these raw milk charges because through jury nullification. I mean. People are starting to wake up and realize that they don't want to be sick. They don't want to eat these prepackaged, you know, irradiated. Right. Well, Brad, food. hold that thought. We've got to we've got to go to the bottom of the outbreak. Uh, Brad, I hope you can stay with us and so, and Sarah too. Uh, stay with us, folks. This is the Stateless Fan on the Overseas Radio Network. You're tuned in to OverseasRadio.com. Your online radio resource about life abroad. Welcome back to The Stateless Man. I'm your host, Fergus Hodgson, broadcasting from Raleigh, North Carolina, and this is a live broadcast, so I'll be glad to take calls. 1-888-741-7472. That's 1-888-741-7472. And I'm speaking with the creators of foodrightradio.com, a website and podcast and before we're discussing the uh, controls going into place and and what originates from the United States but actually will be have ramifications far beyond those borders and that's the food safety modernization act which is going to force right now and uh, yes Brad the butcher Jordan noted that does have ramifications beyond the US borders because many of these control freaks in Washington DC want to have foreigners obey them as well and this is just an enormous regulatory burden, which I imagine many people will not be able to comply with. And they'll either, either have to disobey it or they'll have to stop supplying the United States. 
Now, what some people are fighting back. Brad was just saying how civil disobedience is just going on all over the place. Uh, many people are moving to states like New Hampshire or South Carolina where you can uh, produce raw milk legally. Uh, but someone has, one of the article notes that someone is suing the Food and Drug Administration, which is supposed to protect you, which is laughable, uh, considering that they impede the supply of drugs to people who need them. Anyway, he, his art, the article is titled, Country's Largest Raw Milk Supplier Sues FDA for Ban on Interstate Sales. And you can see that article on the Stateless Man Facebook page. So uh, this article, yeah, it's got more than a 1,000 uh, likes, Facebook likes, so it's getting plenty of traction. Brad, what stimulated this article? Well, you know, I just I, I knew the FDA was coming out with uh, enforcing this rule this year, and you know, there's 1,200 pages of legalese. So, you know, the main message I got from Judith McGeary was, you know, we need more time to look at it and figure out how this is going to impact local farmers. She said from the from the brief looking over it over of it that she did that it doesn't look good, right? Because. Raw milk, the raw milk story, Brad. Sorry, you're discussing the uh, Food Modernization and Safety Act. That's fine. Let's just clarify that. So just finish your point, and we'll get on to your your other article. What other article? The one about the country's largest raw milk supplier sues the FDA for ban on interstate sales. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, (laughs) Mark McAfee from Organic Pasture. Sorry, I lost your point there. Mark McAfee, great guy, man, inspirational guy has the largest raw milk dairy in the country, and he's coming after the FDA because he's had enough. He's saying, you know what? My milk is healthy. It's great. It's nutritious. It's, it's healing people in California. Why the hell can't I ship it across the state line? Why can't I bring it into Nevada where people are starving for this food? It's ridiculous. I know. And people are willing to pay big money for this. They want it so much. Well, and the distinction, Brad, I think is that there are some states where it's legal to sell raw milk and some where it's not legal to sell raw milk. So the FDA has said, you know, you can't take raw milk from a legal state to an illegal state. But they've also said you can't take it from a legal state to a legal state, which is that's what that's what Mark McAfee thinks is really ridiculous is Mm. it's legal for people in Nevada to consume it. So why can't I just take it right across the line? It's not like it, it's a different product all of a sudden as soon as it crosses the line. What, what do you believe the right, real motives are, Brad? The milk when it goes to Nevada. What's what, that? Do, I'm sorry. Yeah, what do you believe the real motives are? I mean, I've written about this too, and I'll, well, I'll post that article on the page as well. But You know what? Um, you can label me a conspiracy theorist or whatever. Huh. I don't care. I'll take <laughs> the label. But it is, yeah. it, is big, it is the big dairy producers. It's the big meat producers. And Mark's even told me this himself. They want to get their hands on his product. They want to process his product. And he doesn't want to. He says, you know what? I want to take it from the farmer to the consumer. I don't need a middleman processing, pasteurizing, getting up my milk, killing all the nutrients, all the microbes in it that uh, build up your gut wall, your gut flora, and make you a healthy individual. Yeah, you and that's that's a, the processing is a huge part of it. That's the profitable part. Right. Yeah, and the deal yeah. is... the. the when I wrote about this about a year ago, I noted that raw milk generates about four times the price because people see it as such a precious commodity. So many farmers could well, sell it directly. Also, and, here's the, here's yeah? the thing that pasteurized swill in grocery stores would cost just as much as raw milk if it wasn't subsidized by the state. If the state didn't steal our money to give to them to, ag- to artificially lower the price in the first place, their milk wouldn't be so cheap. Mm. That's that's really interesting. 
And I'll say this isn't really hidden at all. Just these dairy dairy lobbyists do it out in the open. They will target legislators and yeah. and, and maintain these uh, restrictions, which are so draconian. I just can hardly believe it. In North Carolina, where we are, for example, one cannot even co-own a cow to consume the milk from the cow. And I'm just going, who really cares? I mean, that's not exactly a convenient way to get milk anyway. But, I mean, I, I yearn for the day when you can just go to the store and buy it as you can in France and all across Europe, either from a vending machine or just from the grocery store. I mean, how long do you, do you foresee that day coming, Brad? I mean, yes. I think more and more people are demanding raw milk. More and more people want this stuff legalized. You know, um, as Stanley Fallon even told me before, you know, raw milk drinkers were used to kind of hide in the shadows. But, you know, the forces have been growing. The real food movement is well underway. And instead of now we're out in the open, now we're fighting the battle, you know. They, you yeah. know, first is um, denial and then what is it, acceptance <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> right now we're in the middle of the denial part of it, right? But they're going to accept it eventually because enough people are going to demand it. Right, and then you win. That's the final outcome. Yeah, that's great. First they yeah. ignore us, then they fight us, and then they accept us. That's how it goes. And what, right, do you, what right, hope so do you have? Do, do, I mean, I haven't read this article in, in full. I think I listened to the podcast, but what is the likelihood that this guy will win his battle with the FDA? Probably not likely. I mean, probably not likely because it's like when you go when you battle the state, right? You're yeah. You're asking the arbitrator, who's like a, a distant relative of the state, to settle it for you. It's like if I get in a fight with you and ask your cousin to settle the dispute, well, whose side is he going to take? Probably yours, right? Now, so I'm, I'm really excited now about about the process. Like you see, the prospects of change are good, not from the top down, but from the bottom up. And you, you too, are part of that. What have you done in your own lives to apply this, what you've found? Well, you know, like right now, I buy raw milk. I consume it. I try and buy a lot of my foods from local markets. Um, I'm, I'm in the pro Well, we just moved into a house a couple months ago. So, but at our old place, we had tomatoes planted. We had herbs planted, you know, grow your own food and things like that. And those, and those are the things you can do. You know, you can, you can hurt these guys in their wallets. Stop buying this irradiated processed garbage and go help the local sustainable farmer. You know, even Joel Salton says, yeah, Raw, uh, organic food may be expensive, but have you priced cancer? I mean, do you want to live? Do you want to enjoy your life? I mean, these foods, organic local foods taste better. They're more nutritious. You know, I mean, just follow the traditional ways of our ancestors, and you'll be living a, a healthy life before you know it. Like I like to say, get yourself a glass of raw milk, add a couple raw egg yolks from pasture-raised chicken, mix it up, man, drink it down like Rocky Balboa. And start your day right. Sit back and relax. You are tuned into the Overseas Radio Network. This is the Stateless Man, Fergus, and I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, we still have Sarah Burrows on, and she's uh, from Food Right Radio. Dot com. The last question I had for her and for Brad was basically how they're applying their findings in their own life, and we could talk on for a, lo a long time about that. But do you have any uh, quick thoughts before I um, before I move on, Sarah? Well, we have to go to Pennsylvania. Well, they come to us to get our raw milk, and I know we focus a lot on raw milk, and that's just because to us that that was kind of a, a turning point 
once we discovered raw milk, we discovered a lot of other healthy foods and raw milk is really um, a whole complete food. So anything that you're lacking in your diet, this helps round that out. And mm. we, we had to go all the way to an Amish farm in Pennsylvania and have it delivered to us once a month. And we had to go to the extent of buying a freezer for our garage so that we can keep our 12 to 15 gallons of milk in it um, until our next delivery. And so these things... <laughs> You know, grass-fed butter, grass-fed meats, um, nutrient-dense um, produce that's grown locally. These things cost more money. Sometimes they're harder to find. You have to go further out of your way. But once you can just get started, um, you will feel better and you'll have more energy and you might be more productive at work. And so then you have the energy and the time and the money to to start eating this way because your health is improved by eating this way. You'll spend less time in doctor's offices. So that's right, what that's, we do personally. Well, that's that's why I'm so supportive of what you're doing because basically if you are not healthy, you can't travel, you can't live the life that you want. And just assuming that other people are responsible for your health, just as just like your financial uh, situation or your, um, or your safety, whatever it is, is basically... Uh, a failed failed idea or you're going to be vulnerable to other people not taking care of you so i i again the the, the website is foodrightradio.com and i i share uh, these articles with pleasure i'm very, very glad to so sarah uh, best of luck with your work okay thanks a lot fergus thanks for coming on sit back and relax you are tuned into the overseas radio network This is The Stateless Man, and I'm broadcasting from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, pursuing liberty beyond borders. And the sponsor of the show is AMTG Solutions. That's amtgs.com for all your digital media web development needs. If you're looking to get a new website started, I encourage you to go and see them. That's amtgs.com. Now, recently I, I read some bizarre news about what's going on over in Bulgaria, and I'm not very familiar with that nation, and I'm not... I, I do know the news story so much is that basically the parliament has resigned or there's been sort of like a big, um, not I wouldn't call it an overthrow, but a big rejection of the major parliament in Bulgaria and due to corruption and many other things. Now, I know I did meet a Bulgarian lady while I was working at the American Institute for Economic Research in, in the United States, and I wanted to have her on to give us the details and she will be able to explain it. Yeah, explain what exactly is going on there, and what what this means in a, in a broader sense. Because Bulgaria, let me clarify. You're a new member of the European Union. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Right. Since 2007. So, but her, so her name is Antoinette Malhas Malhashan. Mm-hmm. Malhashan. That's right. And she is a graduate uh, with e- in economics and uh, business from Lafayette College, which is in Pennsylvania in the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, she's been back living there, and she currently lives in the capital of Bulgaria, Sofia, for about two and a half years. So I'm really pleased that she, she's been willing to share insights into what is going on. And I remember one of her early messages was saying, saying that she was even concerned that she might not be able to get back to take the interview because of protests <laughs> going on in Sofia. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Okay, so what? But they were over earlier, so I managed to get back on time. <laughs> give give people some context. I mean, what is going on in Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria? What is going on? That's a lot. 
yeah, <laughs> basically people started protesting uh, because of um, high utility bills. Utility bills uh, were raised by around 10% last year. Okay. So this winter people got some massive bills that yes. they're having quite a difficulty paying because of the low income they have. Sure. So that's... But then what is proceeded on? What is this news about the parliament resigning across the board? Uh, you mean why are they resigning? Yeah. Uh, did you want to explain what exactly is happening? The well, the protest started and the government, uh, people blame the government yes. for those things that are happening. Uh, they blame them for, uh, for the low living standards, for their... Um, low wages right. that they haven't been going up for like three years since this government has been in power. But what the government did for these three years basically is to um, they wanted to guarantee stability so they basically froze wages and pensions Yes. but at the same, same time uh, the prices of food utility prices kept on going up so as you can imagine, people are most of the people are just stuck in with very low living standards and basically in poverty. They they were quite patient for for long for a long time, but now three or four months before this government term is over, they decided to spend it. Because if you want to, people should if you want to check out the article which examines, examines this from Reuters. The headline mm -hmm. is, Bulgarian government resigns amid growing po protests. And yeah. that came out just uh, last week on, on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And the, the subtitle is, Bulgaria's government resigned on Wednesday after mass protests against high mm -hmm. power prices and falling living standards, as you explained, joining a long, yeah. long list of European administrations felled by austerity during four years of debt crisis. What I really want to understand... Mm -hmm. Is what a government or a Congress resigning, what does that mean exactly? I mean, who's going to be running? I mean, they're not exactly all just going home tomorrow. Well, that's the big question, because there are only three or four months left until the end of the term for this government. Yes. So now the president has to start talks with all the parties to see which party can... Um, can form an interim government until we have elections for a new government. So it's a very tricky situation, and a lot of the people are scared that it, there will be chaos and things for these three or four months. We're not sure where things will be going. Are you concerned? Oh, a little bit. In what way? Okay. What when you it's, say it's chaos? Not, it's not a long. Well, because people keep on protesting even after uh, after the government resigned. But uh, but so, is, but are they violent? Oh, uh, not quite. No, I would say no. Are they, they are they near where you? Are they right? The right? Is, yeah. Yeah. The problem is they want uh, some change to take place, but they can't. Like at the moment, they can't really define what change they, they want. want. And I they're see. against all parties. They're saying the whole, mm, like, 
all parties are the same and they can but the, but they still want but they still want a welfare state mm, yeah I guess so but what they're saying uh, one of the things they're saying is that we don't want a parliamentary republic anymore we want the presidential one which huh. is quite a fundamental <laughs> change yes what do they want they want, the they want they want the constitution to be altered they want to take part in in the governance of the country things like that but it's all over the place and that's why I'm saying it's a moment of confusion for everyone given that you're part of the European Union are people just fleeing the country uh, right now yes you mean well the, let's say that way some people the people who want to get out they they're free, they're free to go I mean yeah. they can go to Europe they can go to the states they can go wherever they want Mm, there is a big group of young people who live abroad, and that's that's one of the problems for Bulgaria. That a big part of the young promising population is just doesn't want to to get back to Bulgaria. No. One of the important questions I wanted to ask you then is, why did you choose to leave the United States and go but go back home? Well, the the biggest reason is this is my home. Uh, my family is here, but another big reason is I wanted to to give Bulgaria a try and see how my life would evolve here. Right. Yes, and I don't know. And no, bring back bring back my experience from the United States, the things I've learned, and try to make some good here. Yeah, how's it working out for you? It's going okay. I'm, I'm happy for now. Uh, things are sometimes difficult, but okay. Well, we, we're coming up on on the break, so I'll just say we're speaking with. Let's let me get her name correct. Antonetta Mal Malhasha, Malhashan. Malhashan, yes. From Sofia <laughs> in Bulgaria. So stay mm -hmm. with us. You don't want to miss more of this interview. This is the Stateless Man on the Overseas Radio Network. From China's Great Wall to the Leaning Tower of Pisa, this is the Overseas Radio Network. Welcome back to The Stateless Man. This is your host, Fergus Hodgson, broadcasting from Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm speaking with Antonetta Malhashan from Sofia, well, in Sofia, Bulgaria. And I came into contact with her years ago when she was a student in the United States, and we were both uh, working at the American Institute for Economic Research out in Western Massachusetts. That organization actually still produces some great work, and I follow it. It's AIER.org. But what called me to bring her on the show is that I recently read an article headlined, a Bulgarian government resigns amid growing protests. So there is a, you could say, a, a very low level of confidence in the people leading Bulgaria, and probably with good reason. And I guess the people in power have basically said, okay, enough, we're not going to do anything, and we'll just wait, wait it out for the next three or four months until the next election, until people can vote and have a say. And But Alexander was saying that this isn't just by accident, that it, there are clear reasons why people are very frustrated because the, the people in charge have engaged in brainless things such as wage and pension freezes. I don't want central planning of anything, let alone people telling 
individuals, how much they can and cannot pay each other. And already Bulgaria is in a poorer situation than the rest of the you know, European Union. And this, this article says they have earnings less than half of the European Union average. And they say tens of thousands of Bulgarians have rallied in protests that have turned violent. They say violent. You think uh, not so violent, chanting mafia and resign. I'm, I'm guessing, and not in English, but um, so yeah. So, but I'm really curious because I don't know a lot about the Eastern Bloc, and Bulgaria, I imagine, has a distinct history. And Antonetta was saying that she returned back to uh, Bulgaria after the United States, hoping to bring the lessons she'd learnt here as a student, and just give it a chance because she said it is her home. Lots of her family are there, but many young people have been leaving to other parts of the European Union or to the United States if they can get the uh, work okay. visas. Now, why don't you give us some sense, though, for, for what has led up to this point? I mean, what happened in Bulgaria after the fall of the Soviet Union? What happened in Bulgaria was quite a long process of transition, which a lot of people think hasn't ended yet. And that's a big... That makes up for... Yeah, it's a, it's the reason why people are protesting today. They've been given they've been given hope for twenty years sure. that we're yeah that we're moving uh, towards a democratic state with all the freedoms that go with it. Right. But people don't see that. People uh, are a big part of the population is living in misery. And when you say misery, what do you mean? Well, what you mentioned, the, the wages, the pensions, they're the lowest in the whole EU right. at the moment, yes. And they, they've been frozen for three or four years now. And so what happened after the breakup of the Soviet Union is that while the Russian influence may have gone or declined, the local people, they didn't really liberate the country, so to speak. Uh, well, the process transition has been quite difficult. Uh, there was some massive privatization taking place. Uh, but again, in that process, there was some massive corruption right. going on. Um, I think the Russian influence is still quite present. How? how in, in, what, in what manner? Yeah. Uh, well, I can give you an example. There is a theory for the protests that are going on right now. What, that the, the, Russians, the, are, theories, the Russians are promoting yeah. that? Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there was a plan for a new nuclear plan that was signed okay. some time ago, but the current government froze the contract. Okay. It was to be completed uh, by the Russians. And some analysts are saying now that all these protests um, are a result of this. They're against the current government. Do you, do so you they sure, but do, do you think that there are certain aspects of Bulgarian culture that promote or allow this kind of corruption to go on? Uh, you mean in I mean, Bulgarian nature, kind yeah, of? Yeah, because I'm, I'm just thinking, why is it has it been more than 20 years and still the, the Russian influence and the level of corruption is just so thick in Bulgaria. 
It's a hard question. I think maybe we haven't always had the best leaders. That's a big part of it. Mm. So the, the certain governments and certain party leaders have uh, defended, defended uh, foreign interests or their own interests. Sure. So that's a big part of it. And that's why people are fed up today. Mm. They but want somebody to look uh, after the, the interests of the people. I'm sorry, they want someone to look up the interests of the people. Yes. What I'm getting at is that not last week but the week before I did a show on Cuba and mm -hmm. we discussed how after a certain period of time living under totalitarian rule, people didn't really know how to be free people. They'd become so accustomed. Yes, yes that's a big part of it. I think you're, what you're getting at is how, well, but what, what cultural differences did you, did you see? I mean, I'm not saying that the U.S. is some haven for liberty, but many of the people are very freedom-oriented in their personal lives. How, what yes. differences would they see if they were to go back to Bulgaria or, or travel there and immerse themselves in the culture? What differences? Yes, we, we have this kind of mentality, maybe it's from the socialist times, that someone has to, to look after us. But you don't have that? How did you let go of that? Sorry? But you, you have let go of that? Well, it, it takes generations to, to change the mindset. Sure. If people were used to being taken care of from the government during socialist times, it's not the same thing today. So, but do you find this drives you crazy if you're living there? Sometimes it does. It yeah. could, but things are changing. How? So, How are things changing? How are things changing in the mentality of the people? So, a big group of younger people who, who are speaking up, who, who want to change things, and hopefully it will be for the better. What do you think about the entry into the European Union? Does that mean that that will accelerate the process, or are you concerned that that will just create another layer of bureaucracy over the country? Well, I think... A bigger part of it would be to accelerate things, to to bring some positive change. Yes. We're adopting many of the EU policies, and I think it's good for Bulgaria, even though sometimes it's hard to to keep pace with everything that's going on with the EU. Sure. Would you recommend people come and visit or live in Bulgaria? Oh yeah, definitely. They should visit Bulgaria. It's a beautiful country. There's a lot to see. Bulgaria has a very long history. And I think it's a must. And living in Bulgaria for many foreigners is very a very interesting experience. They like they love the people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We have great food. <laughs> Definitely. I mean Yeah. Wow. We just I think we just don't have the right attitude. If we change our attitudes and start working towards I don't know. A more, a more independent mindset. Yes, exactly. And to, I guess to have more belief in ourselves because we tend to think we're the Bulgarians. I right. think they're not good enough. But if we change our mindset. That, that will help that process. Well, we are approaching the, the bottom of the hour and next up we're going to have another lady, pr promoter of liberty, Isabel uh, Gonzalez, a contributor to the Stateless Men website. She's written an article on women 
uh, libertarianism and respect for the individual. And I'm, I'm excited to be having her on, so you're not going to want to miss that. But for now, though, I'm going to have to let Antonetta go. So, Antonetta, thanks for appearing on The Stateless Man. Thank you. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Stay with us, folks. This is The Stateless Man on the Overseas Radio Network. You're tuned in to OverseasRadio.com, your online radio resource about life abroad. Welcome back to The Stateless Man, and I'm just so pleased to have my final guest on. Isabel Gonzalez, she is a liberty advocate from El Paso, Texas, and she is also a contributor to thestatelessman.com. And her article today I thought was just excellent, and I wanted to have her on to discuss it in greater detail. We both attended the International Students for Liberty Conference about a week or two back in Washington, D.C., and at that event there was one of the key topics of interest to many people was um, the presence of women in the liberty movement and whether women you know, care about freedom as much or not or how we can address them. And I'm not a woman, as you might have noticed. And I thought I wanted someone like her who is very personable and she's rising quick, quickly and, and building a name for herself. I wanted her to give her thoughts on... One, there was a, a, an event, Girls, 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 a panel discussion, just a discussion as to what she thought was there, and then what she could add to that discussion. And so she's had done an excellent job. If you want to check out that article, it's on the Stateless Man Facebook page, and you can just t- find it at thestatelessman.com. So also her Twitter handle, if you want to follow her, is Isa Hasgun, or, yeah, so... <laughs> I'm going to post that on the page, so, so rather than me try and butcher it with, with pronunciation. But, Isabel, thanks for joining us on The Stateless Man. I'm glad to be here, Fergus. Thank you for inviting me. Right, and let's just tell people, what is the International Students for Liberty event all about? Um, okay, well, from my point of view, it's more of a, an, I guess, a place where every single libertarian, no, I'm kidding, but a lot of libertarians can go and gather to learn about um, topics from, you know, expert speakers or people who have been in this longer than people our age have been. And mm. it's very informative. I mean, I got to uh, meet more libertarian th- think tanks than I had known about previously. So um, it's also a place where you can meet new people and, um, you know, you make friends and you look forward to seeing them at future conferences and conventions, though it can get kind of pricey. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's what it is to me, just a place to learn, grow as a person in general, and um, meet new people. Did you attend the Girls, Girls, Girls uh, event within the event? No, I didn't. I attended something else. There was just so many things going on, but I'm really glad that they were able to put it on YouTube so I could watch it afterward. Ryan, I'll just back that up, that at any one time, there seemed to be about 10 different presentations and it was just a terrible uh, decision to have to decide between them all. So I've, I've promoted this event before, and I'm, I hope I can be there next year, the International Students for Liberty Conference. And, yeah, they wa- I did not attend this panel discussion as well, but the, the full video of it is on thestatelessman.com. Now, Isabel wrote about how she's not one to say women need this or women need that or they behave in certain ways because, as we know, People are individuals, they're distinct, and I thought that was 
one of the key lessons from her articles. But she led into that with with a discussion as to how she became more conscious of, aware of, informed about the value of individual freedom or individual liberty. Do you want to give us a little bit of that background as to what led you towards being what a self-proclaimed libertarian? I guess it all just started with um, my mom. She's really into politics. I mean, she jokes around saying that she had each of her babies on every, an, a presidential election. <laughs> so she was like, the reason you guys are like this is because I was listening to all the debates and watching C-SPAN um, all the time when I was pregnant with you guys. But, you know, um, so she she was there, you know, um, talking about politics. And she was actually a Democrat all her life because, you know, um, in El Paso, mostly everyone's a Democrat because, um, you know, people here believe that Democrats are the ones who help immigrants, uh, minorities, and, uh, I guess... Poor people. Yeah, poor people. So people think that way. My mom thought that way, and um, it wasn't until around, I think, the 2004 election where the Catholic Church was really emphasizing, you know, we have to vote with pro-life candidates. You know, mm -hmm. that's a very important issue. Right. So she kind of instilled that in me. And um, it was a very difficult stance to take as an, I guess I was like, I guess I was 18, 19, 20. And, you know, it wasn't very popular amongst my friends. You know, they were like, who are you to say what a woman can do with her body? Whoa. It wasn't a popular stance to begin with, with amongst my friends. Sure. So, but I, you know, it just felt right to, I just, it wasn't like my mom forced me to. It just made sense to me. And um, from there, I just went ahead and started voting with pro-life candidates. And then I came across Ron Paul in the 2011. Well, I mean, I knew who he was, but it wasn't until 2011, the Iowa Ames straw poll, where okay. he got second place literally right behind Michelle Bachman. And sure. they didn't even mention him. They just skipped over his name. And to me, that was so weird. I, I was like, why do they ignore him? But why are they so rude to this man? He's such a good like, he looks like a great person. So that's when I went on to ronpaul2012.com, and I started looking at all the issues, and I just felt like I, I could agree with him and his explanation on several issues. So that caused me to do a little bit more research. Gotcha. And, and yet, as you explain in your article, fortunately, there are many great outlets to kind of assist you. If, if you have the inclination, there is just an, you know, an, there's a plethora of different resources that can help you and just make you aware about how you can basically reclaim self-ownership, you can become the uh, determine, one who determines the success or failure of your life and be a freer person. Right. And you have, and you've started, yeah, you've got your podcast, El Paso Liberty Hour, and you're associated with, I think it's what's the Young Americans for Liberty at, at UT El, El Paso? Yes. Right. So you've, you've been doing a lot in this movement, and you've got your Twitter account is very active, so you're, you're building a, a prominence, and... You you noted that story, yeah. How you how you become involved is a very personal issue, and that's why perhaps you're concerned that some sort of marketing plan for women is doomed to fail. Do you want to expand upon that point? Yeah, I just think that. Um, I mean, I know that I would have been turned off if, like, the first person who ever introduced libertarianism to me was extremely pro-choice and just said, you know, there's no, you can't be a libertarian and be pro-life that would have just completely, like, turned me off. I would have been like, well, then I can't be a libertarian. Mm. You know, so if we try to market certain things that we think might be appealing to women, you know, you might get it completely wrong and just turn them off because that would have happened in my case. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm not that close-minded, but it really would have not... I mean, my time is valuable. I would have not been like, oh, well, 
here's this movement who's saying that I'm not what they, what I should be in this, like, I'm not going to go do more research on it. You know, we really should just ask more questions when we're trying to attract people. Or, you know, somebody made a really good point on um, my friend Stephen. He said, you know, libertarians are very concerned with purity and stuff. And um, sure. what we should do is ask questions, not tell people, like, oh, you're not a libertarian. You can't be a libertarian because you think this way. You have to ask more questions and say, well, why do you feel that way? Because lots of people who have a stance, it's because of a reason. It's not just because one day they were like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to think this way. You know, they've read books. They've had people who have influenced them. And it's a personal issue. And if you tell them they're wrong, they're not going to like you very much. You know, people don't like to be wrong. So <laughs> I think that, you know, trying to do that would definitely turn off some women and even men. So I just, I think that's something we need to work on there. Right. One aspect of your journey to, to some degree goes beyond just the political realm. And this is where I think you didn't write about this much in your article, but you've actually, I hope you don't mind me asking about this, but you've actually decided to basically go a new direction in terms of work as well, that you deciding that you, you basically realize that I'm the one in control. I don't, I don't have to follow the sort of the conveyor belt or regular order of life. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. So, you know, prior to becoming a libertarian, I was very much, uh, I guess, a slave to titles. Like I, I felt that what I had on my resume and my CV defined my worth. So ever since I was in high school, I was thinking, I'm going to get a PhD in social psychology or some type of psychology. And then I'm going to, what? I'm sorry. Right. Now, Isabel, just, just hold that thought there. We're coming up on the break. So if you want to call in people, the number is 1-888-741-7472. I'd love to have questions for Isabel. Otherwise, uh, we'll be back with you after the break. This is the Stateless Man on the Overseas Radio Network. You're tuned in to OverseasRadio.com, your online radio resource about life abroad. Welcome back to The Stateless Man. This is your host, Fergus Hodgson, and I'm broadcasting live from in North Carolina. And I've got uh, one of The Stateless Man contributors, Isabel Gonzalez. She has just written an article for the website, which is... Libertarianism, woman, and respecting unique individuals about her story of how she became came to appreciate liberty more greatly and what that means for many people who are trying to build some kind of marketing scheme for women. And one of her key insights is just that we each have different issues that we value the most. And some sort of blanket policy for people who are of one gender seems doomed to fail. So we were both at the uh, International Students for Liberty Conference, not this past weekend, but the one before, and there was a, a, a lengthy panel discussion on this topic, which you can find at thestatelessman.com, embedded within her article. But, but beyond just that issue of this kind of gender imbalance within the liberty movement, I was just curious to hear from her how, how this has impacted her personal life, because it has opened up her mind, let's say, a different way, different way of thinking, and, she's, and she's, she has applied that to her own life. Now, she had to go, she had to go and take a break. Um, I hope she's back with us. I'm, I'm back, yeah. Excellent, Isabel. So do you want to expand upon that point, which we had to cut off a bit short? Oh, yeah. So basically, um, you know, I was obsessed with academia, and I wanted to do something 
important. And to me, that was a professor at a university and do research. And, you know, I just had this entire vision of what my life would be like and how great it would be. Sure. Um, so then, you know, things happen. You start to realize, like, you know, maybe if something doesn't make you happy, you just think it will. It's probably not the best thing suited for you. And embracing libertarianism um, and, you know, reading about the free market and risk and all that stuff, you know, it really just made me feel like I could do whatever I want to do with my life. Like I don't have to confine myself to what I thought would have made me a, a, a successful person. You know, I can just start from scratch and figure it out. And um, I guess that could go for anyone. I just feel like I can do anything as long as I feel really passionate about it and I will pursue it. And, you know, it's, it's been helpful to be surrounded by people who think that way. Um, you know, for example, you were, uh, in an inspiration in my decision, you know, because you, I mean, you frick, I mean, you took a plane, a one way <laughs> like New Zealand to Canada. <laughs> job. Yeah, I so, know. I was probably I broke too. Like, yeah. I just feel like, okay, I can do this. I mean, people have done it before and it's not easy and I know it's not going to be easy, but I want to do it and I'm excited to do it. That's great. Yeah. And, and one thing about the, the new roles you're perhaps looking for is that they can be meaningful in your life, that you're, you're really, you, you're, you're looking at roles that will have a purpose to them. And I, I will say regarding the higher education concern which you raised, I've written an article on that, demystifying the cult of higher education, how my sense is that the bubble in higher education is basically popping, that the devaluation of degrees has just gotten so great that more people will realize that you can educate yourself uh, more swiftly and you're going to learn more when you actually care about what you're learning. So what is next then for you? Do, do you want to give any people people some, a sense for what you're applying for or whether you've got any articles in the pipeline? Yeah, I mean, I really want to just get more exposure. Like, I really want to find a job or an internship um, somewhere with a libertarian think tank or something to do with, you know, something involved in this movement because I really am passionate about it and I know that I'm still trying to figure out a clear direction and I know my mom's getting on me about that. She's like, figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> I'm just like, I am. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, I really like writing. I enjoy writing, so, you know, maybe something in that. But I also enjoy teaching people things. So if people, believe me, I will just take any opportunity. If people ask me, what is libertarianism? I'm like, oh, my God. So then, like, I start explaining from what my point of view. I really like teaching. I like socializing. So I don't know. I could do maybe, like, communications type of stuff. Like, And I just even thought, you know, maybe one day I open up my own business and something. But I, I just know that I have to figure that out. So That's one, that's one thing great, too, about this uh, Students for Liberty group is that they – promote just successful entrepreneurs, people who you can really admire. Last year they had Peter Thiel, this year uh, John Mackey of the Whole Foods Market franchise. And I just think these people are such inspirations. Now, has that impacted your thought as well? I mean, did oh, you, yeah. <clears throat> that talk from Mackey had just a lot in it. Do you want to give me comments on that one? Yeah, I mean, that was the the speech I was looking forward to the most because he had an interview in The Morality of Capitalism one of the first books that really helped me grasp why capitalism is actually enriched people's lives and not 
impoverished people or um, what people might think. But, you know, I just really liked the way he explained things in that interview. And I just, when I saw he was a, one of the keynote speakers, I was just so happy. So I was sitting there in the second row waiting for him to speak, (laughs) taking pictures of him. But, you know, he just said wonderful things. He said, you have to figure it out on your own. And, you know, he kind of said, he cared about something like health and he wants to um, help America become more healthy again because we're so, um, you know, we're surrounded by unhealthy food options and it's just easier to be unhealthy nowadays and it's less expensive. So um, I, I really can relate to him on that because I pay extra to eat healthy. Like I just, I will not eat things that are not good for me. You know, I want nourishment. So um, I, I can relate to him on that point, but I also I like that he says, you know, we have to create value for our customers. So if I ever open up a business, I'm not going to just be, and I agree with him on the whole profit thing. Like, sure, I mean, it's nice to make money, but at the same time, it would be, it's better, or I would feel better just, you know, providing a service or product of value that helps people's lives. And, you know, even Steve Jobs, and I know he gets criticized. I love Mm. my iPhone and I love my MacBook. Like my life is with these products. And, you know, he has provided value. Yeah, that that's a very interesting question, which we could discuss in more, in more detail. How, within the confines of a free market, what we actually actually think is uh, you could say an ethical or moral approach. Because even if we might promote legalization of prostitution, for example, that doesn't mean we're going to open up a brothel ourselves. <laughs> so, right. so that that was a difficult question, and, and I will say that. I do have another article on that matter on the statelessman dot com. Uh, what is the self interest as the ethical basis for capitalism? With David Kelly of the Atlas Society discussing that in greater detail. The point that Isabel uh, touched upon, which I want to agree with too, is that guys like John Mackey reassert the fact that pursuing profit is a good thing. It's not bad at all, and don't be ashamed of the fact that you want to become a profitable person. Because he said, look, many people want to start nonprofits. They come hustling to to me and other profitable people for money, and he said that so does so too does the government sector. So really, in the end, this value creation is what drives a, a thriving society or elevates our standard of living. Now, this is your second article for us. What was what was the first one you did you wrote about? That was networking, right? Right. Yeah, it was about going to um, the Mises Circle in Houston, Texas, and meeting people. But it was it was about the experience. Um, but it was also about like um, lasting networking friendships. Because I mean, I have friends in Houston that I look forward to seeing, and I have friends in Austin. I have friends all over the country. I, I feel I just get excited when I get to see them again because we live so far. I mean, Texas is a state, but. Houston's 10 hours from where I live, so, you know, right. any opportunity to, you know, catch up with them is real fun for me. Well, is- Isabel, I look forward to more articles from you, and I'll say that already the one you've written today has got plenty of traction online, and I hope it generates uh, some discussion. Yeah, so if you, if you want to follow Isabel's Twitter, go to the Stateless Man Facebook page. I've just posted her account up there, and any free market industry em- employers this is a lady to look to. So best of luck, Isabel. <laughs> Thank you, Fergus. Right on. So we just have a, a couple minutes left to play with, and I wanted to get on to some, some news reports that are coming out, and I'm going to be posting these on the Stateless Man page as well. Just all the time, great material and advances, which give me hope. Sometimes, you know, I'm including myself in this, we become a bit dejected that, <laughs> that 
that control is on the rise. And as we spoke about it with Brad, that some people just, there seems to be no end. Even people in, in Washington, D.C., like I said, want foreign countries to obey the, the FDA dictates. And I'm going, what? But so one interesting news story that I wanted to share with people comes from, uh, this is published in the Detroit News in the business section, titled Islands Trade Quick Citizenship for Investment. And this, like I said, it is an exciting prospect that some Caribbean nations are basically selling second citizenships or passports, and investors are just lapping this up. They're selling uh, packages where you can pay, I think it's $100,000, and you get an apartment in one of these islands, and they give you a passport to go and live there too. And I just think this is this is what it's all about, geographical arbitrage, where nations realize that you are a customer. Rather than trying to keep you out, they want to invite you because you will pay the bills. You will ha allow them to build infrastructure. You will create jobs for the local uh, local people. And so the two islands that I'm looking at here are St. Kitts and Nevis and Dominica. And both those islands, too, are relatively well-placed geographically. You can get back to the United States and to Latin America quite easily from them. I'm going to post this on the Stateless Man page. The other report, which I plan actually to examine more next week is this think tanks and civil societies uh, ranking and that is a 2012 global go-to think tank report which ranks think tanks across across the planet as to how um, how reliable they are and given that I've worked in think tanks I plan to um, how, can I, how can I put this I plan to examine this report in, in greater detail but it, it gives me particular interest because it shows that think tanks are basically growing in their prominence and relevance, and they are producing lots of good material. As you know, I've had many members of think tanks on here, and I see them as, you could say, a competitive outlet uh, for ideas or for research that is taking on the uh, the sort of entrenched university or higher education system. It's, it's undermining their monopoly on intellectual thought or just on on you could say research go to research and one of one of the uh, particular organizations that has got high up is the Fraser Institute in Canada and the Cato Institute in this ranking so th this is the, in the top 50 international economic policy think tanks which I'll be examining more next week I'm going to post this report on the Facebook page so again if you want to stay in touch with the show go to the stateless man on Facebook like that page or go to the website and sign up for the email updates or you can follow on us on Twitter at thestatelessman.com. I'm excited about more good topics to come next week and I'm really pleased broadcasting. Uh, so folks, come back next week. This is The Stateless Man on the Overseas Radio Network. China's Great Wall to the Leaning Tower of Pisa. This is the Overseas Radio Network.